You're listening to the Mosaic Podcast, brought to you by Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. Each episode of this podcast will offer you excerpts from the Mosaic TV news magazine, which airs Sunday from January to April in the Palm Beaches. Mosaic explores the most pressing issues facing the Jewish community here at home and around the world. And now, here's your host, Susan Shulman Pertnoy. Welcome to Mosaic. Joining us today is award-winning author, entrepreneur, and advocate, Jonathan Mooney. Jonathan, welcome to Mosaic. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, your story is so unique. Uh, you didn't learn how to read until you were 12, and then we fast forward. You, you graduated from Brown with honors with a degree in English literature. There's such, there's such a dichotomy between your, your early life and what you managed to achieve. Can you tell us your story? Yeah. Um, take that, Mrs. C. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the English literature honors, Mrs. C. Um, <laughs> really? You know, I was the, uh, the, the square peg that did not fit the round hole. Um, I couldn't sit still, so I spent a lot of the day uh, hanging out with the janitor in the hallway. Um, I had a hard time keeping my mouth shut, <laughs> always boarding things out, so I grew up on a first-name basis with Shirley, the receptionist in the principal's <laughs> office. <laughs> and um, as you mentioned, I had a terrible time with reading, so I spent a lot of the day uh, hiding in the bathroom to escape reading out loud. Uh, I was diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, other learning differences when I was nine. Diagnosed with a continuum of behavior stuff, uh, ADD and others when I was 10. And um, I ended up actually leaving school for about a year when I was in sixth grade, 12. And what brought me to that place was I was generally given the message that my differences made me deficient, that I was the stupid, crazy, lazy kid. and. Uh, for a moment, I, I lost hope. Um, I was going to say, how, how did the, the shame of it, how, how did you deal with all that as a child? Well, shame's the right word. Um, you know, I've spent 22 years now uh, as an advocate in all 50 states, multiple countries, 20 countries now, and the word that comes up is shame uh, for young folks who don't fit. And this is a big issue. It's one in five have some learning or attentional difference or neurodiversity, and they're made to feel deficient as a human being. And so that shame for part of my journey led me down a, a, a difficult path. I had a plan for suicide when I was 12. Oh my God. Um, I struggled with anxiety and depression. Uh, but ultimately, uh, that shame was countered with pride uh, by a number of people in my life who helped me understand that different wasn't deficient and that I could contribute to the world. So who was your advocate? Well, that was my mom, uh, you know, God bless her, Colleen Mooney. Um, you know, my mom, uh, not a tall woman, she's, she's on a good day in high heels, she's like 4'11", and she's got this very squeaky voice like Minnie Mouse, and uh, she curses like a truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were doing wrong by me, uh, you did not want cursing Minnie Mouse in your office, you know, <laughs> but that's where she was. Every day, uh, she believed in me, she advocated for me, uh, and most importantly, she taught me to advocate for myself. Wow. 
What type of strategies did you use to overcome your challenges? Well, first it was kind of a fake it till you make it <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of thing, you know. Um, I struggled with reading and writing. Um, I uh, was made to feel stupid because of that. And um, I struggled in school. I wasn't given the support necessary um, uh, that, that children should get. Later in my academic journey, uh, I had educators who did things differently because I learned differently. Uh, I was given access to speech-to-text technology so I could uh, talk out my ideas, text-to-speech so I could listen. I was essentially accommodated, which is a really important breakthrough, opposed to trying to fix me or make the square peg fit the round hole. I had educators who changed the environment, gave me access to learning, and put me on a different path. That's very forward-thinking because that's unusual. I hope it's more normal now, but that was unusual then. It was unusual then, it, it still unfortunately is unusual now. Um, there's still a lot of shame and silence around neurodiversity. A lot of folks hide it. You know, I don't gotta tell you I'm dyslexic. You know, I can keep that inside. A lot of people feel shame that their children or grandchildren learn differently. And this notion of, of normal really bears down on everyone. Yeah, t talk about that. The, 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 it's fictitious, the normal, what's normal? Well, look, the, 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 whole, the notion of normal uh, emerged in, in the late 18th, 1800s um, as a result of statistical thought. It's like average or, or the middle of the bell curve. Uh, it is, by definition, a mathematical fiction. For example, uh, average, right? Take the idea of average. The average number of children in America that a family has is 2.5. You ever met 0.5 of a kid? No. <laughs> so by definition, it's this abstraction that doesn't exist in the world. Um, and, and normal is that. But just because it's an abstraction doesn't mean that uh, it isn't opposed upon people in the world. And people who differ from the idea of normal are made to feel deficient and less than, like I did. And many other folks have been made across the continuum made to feel less than as humans if they don't fit the idea of normal. It's really, and very few people really think about that. That's, it's just horrible. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the truth is the only normal people are, are people you don't know very well. <laughs> because the moment that you get to know another human being, uh, not for who uh, we think they should be, but for who they really are, it's their, their differences that, that really constitute their humanity. I want you to talk about your mentorship program, Eye to Eye. Tell us how you came up with that idea. Eye to Eye um, comes from a deeply personal place. So you alluded to the sort of uh, dramatic change in my trajectory from hiding in the bathroom to Brown University. Uh, I transferred to Brown. I transferred uh, from a two-year college where I went on soccer scholarship. That was my kind of thing. That's what kept me going. And when I transferred to Brown, I thought I had no place there. I mean, I thought, here I am, the dumb kid who tricked everybody. And on the first day on campus, there was a orientation for transfer students with an icebreaker. Go around the room, say where you transferred from, what you did the summer before. And after a few kids went, I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm calling my mom, I have no place here, I'm the dumb kid. I have to leave, literally. And then a guy stood up, and he had purple hair. 
He had bicycle chains around his wrists like they were bracelets. And he said, my name is David Cole. I transferred for, from a two-year college for people with learning disabilities. And I worked construction last summer. I'm like, that's my boy right there. <laughs> and I went up to him afterwards, and he was the first person I had ever met who was out and proud about his learning and attentional differences. And he changed my life. He made me feel I wasn't alone. We wrote a book together as undergraduates at Brown about our stories. And it was his mentorship of me wow. that, in, that put in, the, in my mind the idea of us mentoring others. So Eye to Eye takes college students with neurodiversities, matches them with children. It's not a tutoring program, mentoring program, community building program. Give a young person hope that they're not alone and that they can have a bright future. Wow, and, and, and now it started in Rhode Island. Correct. And now it's throughout the country? Yeah, it started as a, a five-person public service program in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, it's now run by one of the first mentors, a wonderful advocate named David, different David, David Flink. And it's all around the country uh, making a difference for kids. Jonathan, this is a great place to take a break. We'll be right back after this brief message. Mosaic is brought to you through the dedication of generous corporate sponsors who fuel the work of Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. We thank American Commercial Realty, Appleby Udenfriend Wealth Management, BDO, Brayman Motorcars, Bruce Gendelman Insurance Services, Commodore Singer Basement and Braun Attorneys, First Republic Bank, FPL, Rogers Design Group, and Shapiro Pertnoy Companies. You talk about disability as a cultural construct. What does that mean? Look, the, the natural state of human beings is to vary in our brains and bodies. When you really spend time with humans, we're all across the map, right? We're, we're on a continuum of cognitive and physical differences. So that's a fact in the world. Disability occurs when our environment privileges some brains and bodies and impairs other brains and bodies. A perfect example of that is I'm dyslexic, right? Right now, I'm not impaired or limited in any way because we're talking, right? Right. If you would have asked me to write down every single thing that I had just said, all of a sudden, I would have been disabled by this experience, opposed to enabled. So that has nothing to do with me. I'm the same person. It has to do with the environment or the social context around people. So we have a choice as a society in schools and beyond. Do we design our experiences for the reality of human embodiment and enable as many humans as we can? Or do we privilege this notion of the normal brain or body, which then disables people who don't fit it? So disability as a social construct is a, is a real insight that, that we have agency and control of, of, of how we include or exclude humans and we can do better. And my work is about advocating for all of us to do better. And what specifically are you involved in right now to, to foster this? Well, my, my work is, 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 is really twofold. One, help folks think differently about folks who live and learn differently. And I advance that primarily as a writer. 
Um, and so the most recent book, Normal Sucks, uh, subtle title, <laughs> I know, <laughs> subtle title, is all about uh, helping us reframe who we call normal, who we know. And then beyond that, I, I spend my life out with community in, in schools, um, in, in professional environments, uh, supporting teachers, supporting uh, uh, administrators, supporting folks who build systems that can either enable or disable, exclude or exclude. And part of that work is within the Jewish community specifically. That's why I'm here in Palm Beach to support uh, the Jewish Federation's commitment to making sure Jewish education isn't for some, but it's for all. Speaking of that, I'm very proud of our Jewish Federation. Should we be. have something called the Yad program, which is Sunday school for people who learn differently no. from age 4 to 22, and it, it's been in existence for over 20 years. I think that's something very prideful. And I'm asking you how you go all around the country. How many federations, <clears throat> excuse me, support something like this? You know, I've been um, really honored and blessed to be a part of, of the Jewish community's commitment to inclusion. Um, it, it's personal for me. I have three boys, Max, Leo, and Ezra. All three went to Jewish uh, preschools. Um, the two who are of age were bar mitzvahed, and my two go to uh, a Jewish day school in Los Angeles called Milken. I am the most Jewish Irish Catholic you will ever meet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, get an, I get honorary membership, I hope. Uh, and I've also supported multiple religious schools through an organization called Matan um, around, the, around the country who are trying to make Jewish values, Jewish education inclusive and accessible. So many uh, entities in the, in the Jewish education ecosystem are working on this. I don't know about another federation, to your point, that has a specific program around that. I do know that neurodiversity, neurodiversity inclusion, um, is uh, a core value that aligns with Jewish values of inclusion, of each human having value in and of themselves and being met where they're at. And of the religious communities, spiritual communities that I engage with, the Jewish community is a leader on building inclusive educational experiences for uh, folks who live and learn differently. Our Commission for Jewish Education, CJE, um, teaches educators about inclusion. What, can, what tips can you give them? First, redefine who or what we call the problem. The problem isn't the difference or the person with the difference. The problem is the way the difference is treated and the shame that comes from that treatment. I mean, at 20, 22 years of me speaking, all across the country, every setting you can imagine, it's that shame that holds people back. Not autism, not dyslexia, not ADD. It's the shame. It's the reaction to the... To the way that they've been yes. treated. So we reframe the problem. It's not the person, but the environment around the person. Two, provide services. Services matter. You know, reading services, tutoring, remediation. But what goes hand in hand with that should be accommodation. Change the environment and not the person. That's the core uh, insight of the inclusive education movement. And the good news is when we change an environment to accommodate Jonathan or, or young person with autism, that benefits all students. Because 
we all learn differently. <laughs> Whether we have a diagnosis or not, we can all benefit from an environment that recognizes the centrality of, of, of learning diversity to the human species. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Joining us now is Robin Hurwitz. She's the Director of Teacher Development and Student Services. Welcome to Mosaic, Robin. Thank you, thanks for having me. Our, our pleasure. So what exactly is your job at Federation? So I work with all of our Jewish schools, our early childhood schools, our religious schools, our one day school, and I provide professional development for all of the teachers in our community. Um, I work with the directors of those schools to really plan out what type of need the directors see um, that their teachers have. And then I plan conferences and workshops, uh, which I've done many times <laughs> over the years, uh, for, our, for our community. Um, I also um, lead in um, working with um, educational um, initiatives. So we work with different organizations nationally and locally to provide support for our schools and innovations so schools can change and keep up with the times in our, in our community and a whole bunch of other things. Wow, <laughs> that sounds like a lot. People don't realize just how many schools do you service? We have eight Jewish preschools, we wow. have 10 religious schools, and we have one day school in Meyer Preparatory. Can you, so that's, that's a lot. Yeah, so we provide services for all of those schools in a, a variety of ways. How does our federation deal with children with learning differences? For a long time now, we have um, supported and have implemented a school, uh, the J.N. Summers Yad Hebrew School for students with differing abilities. And we have, for 20 plus years, have run the special needs school. It is a Sunday religious school. It's for ages four to 22, so we go with the public school system. And we provide you know, students with all different types of learning needs, a Jewish education. Um, and we also provide awareness, except, you know, um, different services for our schools, inside the schools, and, um, you know, around the, the community for really making our community more inclusive. So, just clarify something for me. So, you, your YAD program is in one particular school, or you, ha you have it in so, many different We'd or? like to um, continue what we do with Yad in different parts of our community, but this year actually we've done something um, which we haven't tried before. Um, Yad is being housed in Temple Beth Torah, um, and we are starting, we have started an inclusion program. So Temple Beth Torah's religious school and our Yad program have been working together this year and in integrating some of their um, learning and programs that they do inside the school so all the students are learning together. Um, and we would like to then create a Yad-like program in other parts of our community to be able to meet the needs of all of our students who are coming into our schools with with learning differences. Why is it so important for us to lead the way in serving these students? The growth in our community and the amount of need is exponential. Um, the latest statistic says that one in five children are walking through our schools, our doors, with some type of different learning need. And in order to um, 
be able to give our students a Jewish education, um, give them a strong Jewish identity, we need a safe and supportive learning environment for those students. So it is so important that we continually work on teaching our teachers, giving the opportunity to learn and grow as, as professionals in the classroom who are teaching our students. Do you collaborate at all with the JCC's inclusion program at their preschool? We, we have a network, it's called the Jewish Disabilities Network, and um, there's professionals and lay leadership on this task force. Um, we work all together in terms of knowing what everyone is doing, being on the same page, helping each other out. In fact, um, this last Sunday at One Big Purim, um, we sponsored with Temple Beth David a sensory-friendly room um, at the celebration. And the JCC preschool staff, they helped us with some of the activities for that, um, for that room, the sensory friendly room. So yeah, we, we definitely collaborate. Um, we work very closely with all of our, our partners. Why is it so important for you to be involved with the synagogues? It's so important because we need our synagogues to be welcoming and engaging families with children with all different needs. If we want to continue um, providing Jewish education and the continuation of Judaism, um, we really need to have a safe and supportive space for our families and kids. And it's great because we can support synagogues by providing programs and services for their families as well. Other than one big Purim, are there any other um, major events that you hold? We do a lot of like amazing things for our community, but one thing I really want to mention so people are aware is we do an amazing program called Day of Awareness. And this is a program that Jonathan Mooney came in to um, share with our community his story, his inspirational story. Um, day of Awareness is a day where we focus on the special needs, uh, neurodiversity, Every, anything and everything where we can get information out to our community, our community teachers, our professionals, um, to really make people aware of the needs that children are walking into our classrooms and we need to address to be able to have a more inclusive community. Looking forward into the future, what can we do as individuals to help support your programs? I think that the most important thing is being aware and taking awareness to the next step of acceptance. Once we see people and they're accepting of people with differences, it really makes people connect with you and what you're trying to do, and it just continues the effect. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mosaic Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to Mosaic on your favorite streaming platform and to leave us a review. Want more? Visit jewishpb.org slash mosaic, where you can access full episodes of the show. To stay connected with the Jewish community of the Palm Beaches, visit jewishpb.org or follow Jewish Federation at facebook.com slash jewishpalmbeach.